0: Hello and welcome to another Friday, I don't know where this week has gone. Today we are chatting to a really amazing lady, I think all the ladies we speak to are amazing, (laughs) but we're speaking to a dear friend of ours Chantal, who has quit alcohol for 10 years, so one whole decade and we're just going to be chatting with you Chantal, about your whole journey through this, so hello and welcome.
1: Thanks, thanks very much Nadine, I am glad to be here.
0: And hello, Nikki.
2: And hello. Yes, I am here too, sitting in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Chantelle, it's lovely to have you here today chatting about your journey and having a, a mom who had a drinking problem and having grown up with that. It's really something close to my heart, so I'm really looking forward to finding out what your story is and yeah, maybe that's a good starting point is you can just share with us what your story is and how we got, to, how you got to this point and your journey.
1: Yeah. And um, it's actually interesting, Nikki, because um, you know, your mom taught me in matric.
0: Wow.
1: And I have, yeah, I have very fond memories of her actually. So it's was quite interesting for me hearing her story through you. Subsequent to her passing away, and that 's sort of been a motivation to an extent to actually speak about this myself
0: oh, that's this
1: not, yeah, this is not a story that i 've actually ever really sat down i 've told people bits and pieces of it, but i 've never told anybody my sort of full well full story, story from beginning to end. People will ask me stuff, and i 'll give them some answers, but you know um, so this is really this is a first for me. <laughs>
2: Wow. Thank you. Yeah, we (laughs) appreciate being able to listen to your story from beginning to end and for you trusting us to to witness it.
1: Yeah, well to be honest, there are not um many other better people to have actually been able to have this discussion with than you two. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, geez, my story. Wow. Okay. I should have right back to the beginning.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So I didn't really start drinking, you know, maybe when I was 13 or 14 in my teens, I might've had a, a glass of wine occasionally with the family at mealtimes. Our family have always drunk um, not necessarily excessively, but we've come from a family of people that drink five o'clock when five o'clock came and my grandfather didn't have a drink in hand, he'd get seriously grumpy, you know, so we knew. And we had sort of tots that, I mean, and we'd go and pour them. On a as an aside, apparently it shouldn't be, you shouldn't get your children to pour drinks for you. Although I'm not blaming my grandfather for me being, um, having drunk excessively in my life. <laughs> but we were brought up in that environment. Um, we'd go and pour um, A tot of whiskey and the tot was if you take your second finger and your baby finger and you put it, you know, you hold it up in the air, that was a tot. So there was a hell of a lot more whiskey than there was water in any drink in our household. But um, it didn't really mean that people were finishing bottles of whiskey at a time. They'd have two drinks, go have supper, maybe a glass of wine or supper. So I've always come from a family where the environment was, you know, it was fairly social. We'd buy on Sundays, people would have alcohol. That was what we did. Basically
2: what you're saying is you grew up with alcohol being a part and parcel of life.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, So I probably started drinking, you know, maybe when I was 18, maybe after school actually. And then it was just, you know, going out and getting pissed. That's what, you know, young people do. Teenagers do, I suppose, or did, um, and that's what we did. We'd go out to discos, you know, and have quite a few toots, and that was it. You know, it, for me, it wasn't a problem. That's what everybody was doing. All my friends were doing it. Um, maybe I had the wrong friend. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I didn't. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's what we did. And I, I can't really remember when it was, but my mom, at some stage, started saying to me, you, can't, you mustn't drink this much. Um, you shouldn't be drinking, you need to slow down. You know, and start, she started saying stuff like that to me.
2: And how, how old were you in this when she was saying this to you?
1: I can't really remember, but I would imagine, you know, sort of maybe my early 20s, okay. uh, even late teens, I don't know. You know, as I said, I didn't, you know, I wasn't drinking when I was like 13 or 14 or 15. I really started maybe matric, the last part of matric and so on. Um, yeah, so my my biological father, who I've never met, um, was actually an alcoholic, and this was a great cause for my for concern for my mother. And this is she used to bring she used to bring this up with me. She said, "You know that alcoholism is actually hereditary. So, in other words, you've got the genes, girl. You better you better slow down. But you know, when you're young, you know, you don't listen to anybody." <laughs> So I didn't really listen to I didn't really listen to my mother. You know, and if I think back, it's actually bloody embarrassing, but if I think back to in those days when you start drinking, you know, you can go sweet drinks like cane and coke and stuff like that. I'd black out and I'd pass out. And I can often remember waking up, like going to a bar, drinking copious amounts of alcohol, going, passing out, and then waking up at like 3 o'clock in the morning when the party was over and thinking, damn it, I missed out on all the fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, like, I, I go off and take myself off to sleep and like wake up and the party's over and I'm like, oh, I really suffered from serious FOMA. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I progressed and um, I had children. I never drank when I was pregnant with my kids. Never wanted to drink. I actually never smoked when I was pregnant with my kids either, so really... It's amazing
2: how your body just, you almost don't feel like you can drink when you.
1: Yeah, I can't even remember. I can't even remember, although I do remember being very excited about the fact, by the fact that I would be able to start drinking as soon as they were born. Right. It was like really something to look forward to. Like, okay, six weeks or like 10 weeks old, okay, let's have something to drink. I'm cold. Where is it? It was very much that. you know, that whole sort of thing so yeah so I carried on drinking um I if I think back I think I did drink ex- excessively I drank enough for my parents to be worried and concerned about me and then as I got older my children started being concerned and worried about me
2: so when because you say you were drinking excessively you meaning that you were drinking every night and drinking too much and or was it, was it moving into your days?
1: No, I've never moved into my days. Um, I've been, Okay, actually, I suppose that's not entirely true. What we would do when, you know, we had friends when we were younger, when our kids were little, like three, four years old, we'd go and have a browner Saturday night. We'd all get laka laka, as they say. And um, we'd end up sleeping over. There was no drinking and driving. Kids were all friends. And then the next day was a beautiful sunny day in Africa. We'd wake up at 10 o'clock, get breakfast on the go, and we'd all have a beer. You know, we'd all have the RAF marker. And in yes. those days, you couldn't actually buy alcohol on Sundays, so off we'd go to the Shabin. Right. And, you know, that's well, that's. Are
2: that's you, are you friends with these friends?
1: Yeah. Good friends, okay. so. <laughs>
2: Well, that's great, because a lot of the times when you stop drinking, then the friends that you used to duel with fall away.
1: Yeah. So, well, in actual fact, because I actually went to a clinic, a rehab in East London for two weeks. Okay. Um, and they actually tell you, you cannot do the same thing. You cannot hang around with the same people. You cannot go to pubs. I, ha- I didn't do any of that stuff. didn't not do it. But, um, that's amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so what but you carry on. basically, sorry, did you carry on socializing in the same way? Um, pretty much,
1: pretty much. Um, maybe not to a large extent because you know what happens when you stop drinking, and I'm sure you've experienced it when you've been pregnant and you haven't been drinking. drunk people start irritating you. Yes. <laughs> so really, your tolerance for alcohol and people that are drinking just actually, you know, it just, it just diminishes. In actual fact, it just becomes non-existent.
0: <laughs> well, what did you say changed for you? What was driving you to drink in the first place? What, what do you think you were lacking or looking for? And by the time you stopped, had you found that in yourself? Did that help to stop?
1: No, I don't think I found it when I stopped drinking. I think I probably found it in the last... 10 years since, since I've not been drinking. Um, I don't know what alcohol gave uh, to me. It probably gave this whole crazy, um, you know, wow, I, I'm invincible. This right. feeling of super confidence, mm. of being able to just do what I want to, when I want to, with um, no holds barred, be an absolutely, totally wild, crazy person. Mm-hmm. Um, it, made, it maybe gave me that. Um, I'm not really sure. You know, I, I was also in those days, eventually on the Sundays, we started having a, a bottle stores that were open on Sundays. And boy, I was the one that knew exactly what the cost of our box of wine was, where it was the cheapest to find, which shops actually stocked it, which spas now had a bottle store and where we should go. I was the one that knew all these things. I was very organized when it came to procuring alcohol. <laughs> and then when I, yeah, when I got divorced I think this was sort of maybe a, a turning point for me or, or a turning point in terms of being really dependent on alcohol um, when I got divorced it was just me um, with three kids um, that I was trying to deal with and you know I really looked forward to my Friday afternoons my friend would come out, come around we'd buy that five man can of wine for the weekend and that's what we did, you know, sit and have a couple of tubes, um, maybe go out or whatever the case may be. And then from then on, I wanted to have, a, I needed sort of like, I used to buy those little boxes of Tussenberg or Robertson's wine every night. So as long as I had money for bread, milk, smokes, and, and that one box, one. box of my wine, I was happy. <laughs> so I'd have my box of wine every night. Not a five litre, just like a one litre box of wine every single night. So invariably, when I went to sleep, I passed out. Yeah. Um, but that was also when my children, sort of. you know, it wasn't, they were not happy. And they were little, you know, they really were little. They were, well, tweens. They were probably, they were nine and 11. My older girls, my other one, you know, my little one was a baby still. So she doesn't, my, my youngest child doesn't remember me drinking. She has no recollection of me drinking.
2: And so what did your 9-year-old and 11-year-old say to you?
1: you no, know, they just didn't like it. Um, and it, it just really – and I think, you know, if I look back as well, I wasn't as even-tempered as I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm really – I've, I've learned how to control my emotions a lot more, a lot better. Um, although, of course, I maintain that I never used to suffer from hangovers, but obviously I did.
2: Well, you know, they say that, uh, I mean, my mom never used to suffer from hangovers either.
1: Mm. So
2: mm. I think that's one of the reasons why people who have a drinking problem can continue to drink and drink and drink is because that's... They, what, don't, that's battle. Because oh, they exactly. don't battle. Oh, exactly. Like I have yeah. two glasses of wine and I am so sick the next day, it's ridiculous.
1: Well, exactly. And <laughs> then you are never going to drink again.
2: You that on an ongoing basis um yeah. but was, was there something that happened like uh that got you to the point where you thought you needed because going into a rehab center is pretty um what's the word it's a big, a big step. Yeah. it's a, you know to yeah
1: yeah. You- so, yeah exactly so i had from you know besides the times when i was pregnant and i stopped drinking i had from time to time decided okay I must actually stop. I need to get on top of this thing. And then I'd stop. I'd stop for three months or six months or whatever. And then I'd slowly get back into it again. It's like a couple of drinks here, there. And then we're back to a bottle of wine a day, you know, and same behavior. So I started going out with a guy who drank a lot. He drank a lot. And we'd, you know, we'd go to pubs every night and that's what we did we drank a lot and it was shooters and tequilas and Yagamaises and
0: Ooh, blackout drinking.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the one day we went to, I we haven't been going out for very long, maybe six months. We had a hell of a big fight. And I just, I just lost. I lost it. I went out, I hooked up with some uh, younger, younger guy, have a pension for them younger guy in a pub that I knew we were friends with, but you know, it was a terrible night because we were, you know, I was so drunk. I was carried out of the pub that we were in and I still drove my car after that.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. And the next morning, this was the only time the next morning I was late for a client appointment and I actually, and then I just thought to myself, okay, this is it, this has gone too far. So that was that was sort of the catalyst to the motivation to say, okay, did I want to stuff up this relationship? Did I want to be in this relationship? Yes, I did. I'm not in that relationship anymore, but I did at that stage. Um, and did I want to actually do something with my life? Because actually putting my job at risk was gonna be a problem for me, especially as a single mother. So anyway, so I tutored off to my doctor and then I was on medical aid, so it was lovely. I chatted off to my doctor and I said, okay, I just want to go to St. Mark's is the name of the clinic in East London. I said, I just want, can't you check me into St. Mark's? I want to stop drinking, but can you check me into St. Mark's for like just a couple of days? I just think like I need three or four days and I'll be up, okay. He just, laughed, he just laughed at me. He said, no, it doesn't work like that. So I said, oh, all right, how does it work? He says, we check you in. you go in for two weeks. I said, oh
2: is relatively short I mean there are a lot of rehab centers where you're in for 21 days or over a month
1: yeah yeah I think that's um you know and I know people that have done stuff like that well I know people that have stopped drinking without going into rehab at all I think people that go in for longer term definitely have Um, you know other issues as well depression you know there's all those underlying issues and if I if I also look back I probably there was probably a level of depression that I had I was never diagnosed as being depressed I certainly when I left the clinic I was on antidepressants for uh, six months or so so, um, but I was never diagnosed as depressed. But I think the people that go in for longer might, it might be, um, you know, uh, other, other issues. Also maybe drug-related issues. I don't, you know, I can't really say because as I say, yeah, so many people stop drinking. People,
2: a lot of people who go into rehab centres, I mean, the, the percentage rate is, is horrific. It's, I think it's something like, I think it's less than 10% of people who go into rehab centres actually stop drinking so for you yeah, to go sure. for two weeks and yeah. you come out and be sober for 10 years it's amazing yeah. well, it, it yeah. it's really amazing I mean you need to like pat yourself on the back and say well done. <laughs>
1: thanks. <laughs> thanks Nikki yeah you know I think I always think that the reason it's worked for me is because I made the decision before I went and I said, okay, that's it. I'm out. I have to stop drinking. It's impacting me, potentially my job. It's impacting my kids. My mother's been carrying on with me for years. Really, actually, the time, time is done. You know, it's up. Now I'm finished. I'm finished with this. So I think that was half of the problem. I mean, I still went in that guy that I was seeing then, he took me, he dropped me off at some marks. And I went in with my Bloody Mary in um in a glass. That was the last drink I ever had. <laughs> it was a Bloody Mary. It was lovely.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I could finish that in the car as I got dropped off at the clinic, yeah. The you rehab, went in yeah. with the
2: Bloody Mary and you came out like a Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so funny. yeah exactly exactly. I could tell you what and it was very interesting being there. it was very interesting. it's very intense. you'd have like a couple of sessions a day, you have sessions with a psychologist, I had one or two sessions, three sessions with a psychologist. My first week I was in for seven days, thirty four hours a day, and then the second week I was like a day visitor, so I could go home at night and then I'd come back in the day for all the counseling sessions and the group sessions and the you know chatting because I made like a couple of sort of friends in there and um, the one thing that I really learned to do actually in the clinic was smoke properly
2: <laughs> <Not> ah.
1: the- <laughs> yeah it's terrible because I mean there's nothing else to do so everybody just starts everybody smokes
2: yeah I well, remember this thing my mom in rehab centers and it was I would say she was always the only one who didn't smoke always exactly. and it, yeah. yeah ridiculous but I have a question quickly um, yeah what so do you think that the the reason for you being able to stay sober for 10 years was it because of the time that you spent in the rehab center or was it because you made that decision before you went in
1: yo nikki i don't know i really don't know being in rehab helps because they tell you they tell you the impact of what's happening to your body, how it works, and please don't ask me to repeat it now because I really don't, I can't remember. I just know it's very, very bad for you. <laughs> so, but you know, it tells you how your body deteriorates, how your oh, I must tell you something else that used to happen to me. This is this is actually a very, very scary thing, and maybe this subconsciously had a very big. Um, contributing factor. Actually, if my mother ever found this out, she'd probably have a heart attack on the spot.
2: Don't share this
0: podcast with
1: her. Yeah, no, she's not on social media, thank goodness. But anyway, so the I used to drink and smoke, and you know that I'd have almost like a like a mini stroke thing that I'd actually go totally numb, blank out, and I wouldn't be able to speak. Oh wow. So I had this, a friend of mine who we used to go jawling and partying with. She used to know what to do. She'd come up to me. She'd put her arms around me. She'd just hug me until I felt better, until I was right again. But it was a really horrific experience because I was aware of what was going on, but I couldn't respond.
0: That's very sure.
1: scary. It was very, very scary. So I think at some level that also must have contributed to my decision to not drink. I think it was a combination of the two things. The, the, it didn't work with cigarettes and the alcohol. You know, do,
0: so anyway. do you ever have any cravings at all these days when you go out to parties? Just no.
1: like- you know, that's, a, that's another thing, Nadine. It's quite strange because I always tell people that I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've wanted to drink since I left. Okay. So I've never had felt this overwhelming desire to actually go and buy alcohol. Okay. I might have sort of, as I said like maximum five times, probably more like three times that I felt, shit, I'm just going to go and buy myself a six-pack of beer. Mm. But I've I've never really, you know, it it passed quickly. Mm. Um, So I've never really, but there's there's also, you know, when I left, besides being on antidepressants for six months, they give you anti-booze. It's a tablet that you just sort of take every day. And if you do drink when you're taking those tablets, you'll have an adverse reaction. But I can't even remember. I might have taken it for 10 days afterwards.
0: I okay. can't really remember. Your resolve yeah. was obviously strong. So
2: Well, yeah. I, think, I think that's the key. I think yeah. is, is that mm. making the decision. You know, I watched um, Oprah interview Robert Downing Jr. because he was in and mm. out of rehab centres for so many mm. years. And he managed to finally quit. And she interviewed him and she asked him, well, you know, what, what was different this time round when you went yeah. into the, compete to all the other times and he said the only difference was that this time he truly made the decision she asked him is it difficult to stay sober and he said no the difficult part was making the decision once he'd oh made God. the decision it's actually yeah
1: yeah you see i can i can really relate to that and, you know, people always say, with anything, whether it's alcohol, whether it's overeating, whether it's whatever it is, you, the decision must be an internal one. You've got to make that decision. Um, in actual fact, my cousin also recently, quite recently, maybe two years ago, stopped drinking. Actually, there's quite a few members of our family that stop, that don't drink. <laughs> what does that
2: say? <laughs> anyway.
1: So, um, and my grandma always used to say to her, uh, my grand calls me Shani. Shani, please, please tell your cousin to stop drinking and I just said to her, "Grand, she's got to make the decision herself. She has got to choose. I can't tell her what to do. She must choose. And I suppose that's all, you know, that's all the years of my mother trying to get me to stop drinking. It was something that I had to choose. I had to say, this is it. Here, up to here, no more.
2: Right. And yeah. I think it has to be a very deep decision as well. Because I know for my mom, I mean, she, on, on, on a level, she truly wanted to stop drinking. And yeah. I mean, she went in, in and out of rehab centers. I mean, yeah. I know all the rehab centers around South Africa. I think I've been to every single one of them. And, you know, she was never, she was never able to fully give yeah. up drinking. And I think on some very deep level, she mm. obviously hadn't made. So I see it like as a soul decision. You know, you really yeah. have to make a deep decision that that you're changing the course of your life because that's yeah, what you yeah, yeah. Amazing. So do you think that there are different degrees of, uh, you, you know, I. I so the word alcoholism is coming into my addiction. Yeah,
1: of addiction, exactly. No, I I don't know. And, you know, if anybody you speak to, they say, no, there isn't. Alcoholism is alcoholism. And I think, you know, people can try and justify it. And as I was saying prior to um, this podcast to you ladies, you know, I still, I cannot say, I find it difficult to say, I'm an alcoholic. So after rehab, we we go to AA meetings and you all go around the room and you stand up, hello, my name is Chantal and I'm an alcoholic. It <laughs> Never sat comfortably with me. So, and we try and justify it. We say, oh yeah, but I only had a bottle of wine a day or I never drank first thing in the morning. I think it's a que- that is a question for yourself. If you think you drink too much, then you probably drink too much.
2: Mm. Right. There's that beautiful book, have you read it, about that guy that went into a rehab center and refused to follow the 12-step program? No, I
1: haven't, actually.
2: Uh, oh, I'm trying to think. I think it's got the word fray in it. If or... I'm going, I'll, I'll, I'll send the link to you. Um, no. I'd be it's, such a, it's such a beautiful book, and he refused to say he... He was a, um, an addict. He was a drug addict, and he, his life was really messed up. He was a young man, and he wound up going getting put into a rehab center by his family because he was, I mean he was really messed up. And he went through the program, but he refused to call him alcoholic. He refused to, because yeah. he said, "Beyond it." Mm. Um, and he has managed to stay clean and hold his life together. And the book is amazing. So I, I, it's, it's something that never sat, sat well with my mom as well. I do understand the reasoning behind it. You have, yeah. to, you have to own it. You have to accept it because if you're not accepting it, then, wow, well, you're not going to then just next week pick up and have a glass of wine. Yeah, yeah.
1: but I think... You see, I think the thing is it's different for everybody. So 10 years ago when I stopped drinking, I really started getting into this whole law of attraction and all this stuff. Um, so for me, the growth and development that I have gone through in the last 10 years has been, I feel like so much has happened, but I think it's a normal part of our journey in the process that we go through anyway. And um, so at once, uh, it was just it clicked. a couple of months later, I've been going to the AA meetings and everything, and it clicked a couple of months later, I was sitting, talking to somebody in a pub, <laughs> not drinking, watching my boyfriend drink, um, and um, I said, you know what, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not going to say that, because I believe, I believe in this whole positive reinforcement thing. That we say we are what we say we are. So why should I walk around saying I'm an alcoholic when I don't feel like I am? Yes. I believe that I want to say I am a powerful, wonderful, strong, magical part of the universe. That's what I choose to say. I don't choose to say that I'm an alcoholic. You see, does that make sense? So I don't know. I'd love to read this book that you're talking about, Nikki. I love people that back the system and let's say, actually, that doesn't work for me. I like to do things differently. I like these disruptors. I like people that go against the brain. <laughs> so I just, that was, that was the way I thought about it. I didn't personally get a lot of value from the AA meetings, although I've spoken to people who do get value from the AA meetings.
2: It's called A Million, a Million Little Pieces. Ah. Okay. And it's Wayne Frey, F-E-R-Y. And it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful book. And it's so beautiful. Um, He got a bit of flack for um, some people who need him to say that part of the story wasn't completely accurate. But I think the message is more important. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: but,
2: But yeah, nice. Well, yeah. I think it's amazing how you have just
0: I mean, ten years down the line, that's wonderful. You know, certainly when I met you, I would never ever have dreamt that you have walked to this path. So it's okay. around, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's also a testimony that even, you know, addictions they are difficult, but yeah, if you're strong enough and if you have the correct resolve and the correct support group. Yeah.
2: Do you have any advice, if anyone's listening to this podcast and they're sitting thinking, oh, my word, I can, you know, so hear myself and see myself in the story, um, do you have any advice for them?
1: Oh, that's so difficult. <laughs> that's a difficult question because everybody is so different. Um,
2: you know, well, I just okay,
1: think that... The, it's,
2: first, the first thing that they should do, I mean, you went to your doctor and you took yourself off to rehab center. I mean,
1: it would, yeah. I think the first thing anybody should do is ask themselves, if if you think that you have got a problem, then you need to do something about it. So whatever that something is, you know, people are welcome to, I don't know, they're welcome to talk to me, but I'm not sure how much value I can add in their personal journey. So for me, the starting point is, if you think you have a problem, then you probably do have a problem. Yeah. That, that should be the beginning point. Then there are, there are organizations all over the place, going to a doctor, speaking to people at Sanka, attending AA meetings. I actually um, spoke to a young girl in Cape Town, she's one of my daughter's friends recently, lovely girl. I have a, she's one of my um, adopted daughters. <laughs> but she said to me, she said, I've been going to AA meetings, because she says she starts and stops drinking. And for her, she feels that she's got a problem, but she's never gone any. She's never followed some any formal sort of route or the route that she wants. She's just gone along, found the local AA group, and she goes there because she obviously feels happy and feels a certain amount of support in that group. The other thing is probably find the thing that replaces the alcohol to do. Um, when I came out of St. Mark's, I do puzzles. I sat and I did puzzles, a lot of puzzles, which was great. It kept my mind off drinking, um, you know, and it kept me busy, kept me occupied. Find that thing that you can actually, that's one of the things, swapping a bad habit for a good habit, yeah. which takes a little bit of thought and consideration. So if it's going for a walk on the beach, do it. If it's going to go and sit amongst some trees and wrap your arms around a tree, do it. If it's lying on the grass and looking up at the stars, do it. Or get creative, start making collages, start painting, start finding the stuff that actually heals your soul. Um, I would say that that's also probably quite a good uh, route to go. Yeah,
2: because that is not. It. It's about healing your soul. Because do you yeah. think uh, addiction and drinking is... A, a form of escape, yes. it's a form of not wanting to face exactly. who you are and deal with who you are, and so I mean, you, it you have to go through, I would imagine, a lot of self-awareness and self-development. Mm.
1: And you know, now that you say that, Nikki, I think that's very much my tendency to, uh, to avoid stuff. I'd rather just bury my head in the sand, to be honest. I still do it in a lot of areas of my life. And I will delay dealing with something till I absolutely cannot and I have to deal with it. It's rather, that's my modus operandi. And I think that alcohol probably did fulfill a certain play a certain role in that. In mm-hmm. ah, just have another drink. It's you can think about it in the morning. The and then on. yeah, put the mask on. Put the mask on. Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs>
2: so yeah. it's not just a, a decision there's there's some work that has to come afterwards
0: yeah
1: yeah there is oh yeah and I mean the work I, it, you know I think it's ongoing although uh, you know when I first stopped drinking I used to I used to joke used to tease I, I tell my daughters this occasionally and I've said to them I've had 20 years of drinking I had 20 years of drinking I'm now taking 20 years off so I mean I stopped drinking when I was 41 but I'm, I'm rounding it down to 60. So I've got another 10 years of not drinking. So they can only get married um, after I'm 60. And then so that I can get pissed and dance on the tables.
0: I know.
1: So, <laughs> but to be very honest, right now, I actually don't need alcohol to dance on tables. I'll do it anyway. And I think that's also been quite a nice discovery for me, that I can be that wild person without having to have anything that actually changes my personality or my mood. I can do it anyway.
2: Absolutely. And isn't it scary how our culture teaches children, just in the form of children watching their parents, that in Mm -hmm. order to have fun, you have to have alcohol. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how I grew up as well. It's like, oh, we're going to relax. So in order to relax, you need to have drink. Okay, we have well, exactly
1: a drink. and
2: we'd... we need to have a drink. It's scary. Yeah. Kids see this. So you exactly. know it's what they grow up, they grow up in an environment where you have bride and it has to be accompanied with beer and wine. And it doesn't have to be. We don't need alcohol.
1: Well exactly and this modeling is such a massive thing. big, big, big you know, I'm very, very against you know, alcohol. is so normalised in our environment, and I mean, in our society. Really, it's just normal. This whole uh, I "can't wait for my glass of wine at the end of the day." I cringe when I see that stuff on social media. But, you know, also, it's that's other people's. That's their, their thing. That's what they want to do. I just, I agree with you. We're building this dependence on something that's external. Why not say, I can't wait for my walk on the beach to de stress for the day? That's, that should be normal. That should be the way we look at things. But it's, it's a conversation I've had so much with my 15 year old daughter. My older, my older daughters don't drink that much. Um, but I mean, they do party. But I don't think I have any fears that they're going to end up like I was. Do you well, think I don't at this stage.
2: That's, that's another question.
1: Yeah. That's another question?
2: Do you think it is hereditary?
1: I don't know, Hey, I don't know. I think research has shown there's a proven link. But, you know, I'm such a fan of Mark Manson, and he basically says everything's debatable. If you look at any scientific theories that have been proven, half of them have been unproven again or disproven, whatever the right word is. So things are changing all the time. We, we're taking theories and we're tipping them right over and putting them on their head. So whether there's a link or not, I don't know. They're, they're, they're probably,
2: I, I grew up being told there's a link because now my yeah. mother's not alcoholic. Like, I have to be very careful. And all the doctors used to tell me that, and the psychologists. And mm. I mean, my mother's father was an alcoholic, so it certainly seems like there was a, there, there's a hereditary link. But I'm reading um, Dr. Bruce Lipton's book now, Biology of Belief. And they're discovering now that cells, any form of disease, whether it's alcoholism, because they call that a disease, or whether it's cancer, uh, whether it's heart disease, where previously it was believed to be hereditary, they're now debunking that to say that actually our cells respond to the external environment. So if you think of nature versus nurture, it's proving to be more nurture than the inherent nature and our cells have the capacity to, you know, get sick in a very layman's term, but they respond to the environment. So you, ha- you can control that environment and you can call- control that environment through positive thinking and you don't, it doesn't have to, which is very interesting.
1: I, I love that, you know, I love that because really what we believe to be true Effectively, it's true. It's true for our lives. It might not be true for everybody else, but it does, and it's just such a powerful, um, you know, way to look at things. And it is. It's
2: just the power back in our hands, basically. Yeah,
1: exactly. Why are we? Because the whole time we say, "Okay, it's something else's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my mother's fault." It's not. Yeah, we must say we've got something to do with this. We can take control of it. And to go back to the the children drinking, you know, my daughter, my thirteen year old daughter, I have a lot of discussions with her about all sorts of things. Um, And drinking is a big thing, obviously. And you know, I've just the the conversation is about why should it be normal for us to go and have? Why can't we just have fun without having to have had uh, alcohol? some drug in our system or whatever. You must go out and be able to have fun without all of that. Mm-hmm. And because these kids, you know, these kids with their pictures on Instagram with alcohol in their hands and they're all drinking and they're such hot shots and in the meantime they're little 15, sometimes 14 year olds, you know, what is yeah, that? It is know, it's, it's just it's too much. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Not only is it a gateway drug, I believe, um, obviously, because it just lowers your inhibitions. Then, you know, it leads to all sorts of things, sexual promiscuity and trying other drugs which' you've got no inhibitions, doing stupid and reckless things,
0: yeah, whether it's and
1: right. driving or dancing on tables or jumping off high buildings and roofs and bridges into water, whatever. You know, especially life-threatening and I don't know, I'm all for bringing prohibition back. Ah, okay, I'm joking.
0: I always thought of
1: prohibition, like, support, uh, come a lobby group, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just recently was in Turkey, and Turkey being a Muslim country, people don't not drink there, obviously they do drink, but I didn't see any drunk people there. And I walked back into South Africa, at the airport, and I'm really, I'm surrounded by people that reek of alcohol and are just drunk.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: just
2: we, like, we can drink as South Africans, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can. So it's also, you know, that brings to mind is what are, we, what are we as a country dealing with, actually? Yes. And the other thing with the, with the link, the genetic link, Nikki, uh, something that, you know, and I think you or Nadine, somebody's spoken about it recently, it's something I'm, I also know, you as a mother, when you carry your child, your girl child, in your stomach, um, her eggs are really formed in her um, ovaries before she's born. So essentially, any children that she will have, you will have hosted in your body. Oh,
2: that's amazing. I've never thought of that.
1: Um, so it's such a fascinating thing. But what I was recently, somebody recently said to elaborate on that idea is the trauma so a trauma that a granny could have gone through yes. could still be, could still manifest in generations after that.
2: Yes. No so, doubt.
1: Yeah. And yeah. So that for me is quite fascinating. So is that not maybe the genetic link?
2: Yeah, for sure. i am actually yeah. also, I'm sorry, I'm bringing up all these books. <laughs> Another book, um, which is, uh, talks about generational energy mapping and it's exactly that it's the trauma ah. that carry from previous generations mm. and they're also they're doing research now that shows that and I mean they are unfortunately they researched it on rats I think mm. but they've they've proved that something that happened three generations back mm. this Ret yeah. had an emotional reaction to
0: yeah, I mean, seeing...
2: it's fascinating yeah. and even in astrology we can tell with
0: certain placements and certain soul groups coming down and learning yeah that's very very mean, yeah that's
1: interesting uh, Nadine because that's what I was also thinking now is like what does astrology say about this I just I, I think it's fascinating well, I've, recently think
0: I... done, I've recently done to my mum's chart which I never have done before and we have I mean, her and I, the, the same placements that we shared was, yeah, it was surprising, but not surprising, if that makes
1: sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though sure, I plot what kind of things we are dealing with, you know, in a generational way, and, you know, it's, it's very, you can find it in there, you know.
1: yeah. Yeah, cheese. Sure, yeah.
2: Well, we could probably talk forever, yeah, but uh, we going to have to wrap things up, but it was so lovely to chat to you, Chantal. Yeah, thank you, Chantal, for joining us. And really, thank I think know. it's going to, I know so many people who will benefit from hearing your story. Good, I know no, thank you. I have also given up drinking, like you said, without going into rehab, and I think this will also be comforting yeah. Um, yeah. and reaffirming for them, yeah. and so for that, thank you. And thank you for being open to discuss and share. We really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah. It's a pleasure. And thanks for making this space available. Because it's great. I love this. I, I, I usually save them and try and listen to them over the weekend. But I love these podcasts. I've, I've found so much value in the ones that I've listened to. So great. Well done, girls.
2: <laughs> That's great. awesome. Thanks, Chantal. Keep yeah, well. Okay. A good weekend.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's you too. Bye-bye. Bye. bye.
2: bye.